Hello, welcome to Slumber Party Cinema Club, a podcast for the movies that you've seen a thousand times and the silly and serious conversations they start. I'm your host, Kate. And I'm your other host, Katie. And we have been gone for a while because Katie and I decided to take November as a let's hunker down and work on our NaNoWriMo projects month. We sure did. I didn't hunker as much, but I am still not going to minimize the accomplishment of getting back into writing and actually mm-hmm. continuing on with the sequel to my debut. I am so excited because I've been waiting for the sequel for a while now, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> like a couple of years to be exact. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, I'm really yep, yep. excited to read what you uh, what you created this month. Yeah, I hope it's good. I right at the top of the month, I saw a quote from um, God, who was it from? I can't remember. And it's going to bother me. Um, like another author, writer, but essentially their advice was write it badly. So mm-hmm. that's sort of my, um, has been my guiding force throughout this NaNoWriMo is just write it badly. Yeah. Like, don't fucking worry about, um, sounding amazing or writing the most amazing scene or the most amazing dialogue or the most amazing description. Just like get that first draft down, even if it's bad. Yeah. Yeah, so. yeah, I saw uh, Lovia Jai Jones posted about that on LinkedIn the other day. She was like, the biggest thing that holds people back from writing a book is the first draft, that it's all yeah. about just getting it on the page and not judging your work as you go. And I have to admit that like, that came at a time where I think I had just hit the 40,000 word mark. So I was like, yeah, the project I worked on is the same project I've been working on since 2020. Um, I finally put aside the first half of it, which I've written and rewritten and re-rewritten and edited and changed and sent to beta readers. And I was like, okay, we aren't touching that. We're going to work on the second half of this. So while you're working on a sequel, I'm just working on the back half of the book. I had to uh, reread a little bit of what I had written and sort of like reworked some of it but for the most part I've written all new stuff and my goal was I gave myself a pretty minimal goal I said 20,000 words I wasn't going for the full I think 50k is usually Mm -hmm. the standard for NaNoWriMo which is funny to me because 50k is not a novel no, it's not the full book. Um, no. Although, I don't know. I just read a book called uh, Assembly by a woman named Natasha Brown, and it was more like a novella. It was probably 50,000 words. But yeah, 50,000 words yeah. will just get you a really healthy start on a book. For sure. Enough writing chit chat because we're not a writing podcast, we're a movie podcast. Hey, we contain multitudes, Katie. It's true. Sometimes we're a music podcast. (laughs) Sometimes we're a music podcast. Sometimes we're a political podcast. Yeah. Just just out of curiosity, Kate, well, I know the answer to this, but listeners don't. Who was your uh, Spotify rap came out this week? Who was your number one? Okay. Do we really have to? You know the answer to this. I'm not proud. (laughs) So my number one song was the the cover slash reconceptualization of the song Trouble uh, by Elvis Presley as performed mm-hmm. by Austin Butler in the Elvis movie. And there's a very good reason for that. Because... I was going to say, do you want to share why? Well, so there's two things. Um, one is that the front half of this year, I was working on the character build for our next D&D campaign. And my D&D character is a woman named Deirdre St. Oleander, who is a burlesque performer and also an assassin. And so I like create started creating a playlist called Tassels on my Spotify. 
And it's all <laughs> these songs that I could imagine her performing to. And Trouble is one of them. And it's very short. And for some reason, it got put on repeat one day. So <laughs> that was my most played song. Um, second to it was Welcome, which is the opening piece of music from um, uh, Babylon which came out and I saw it on New Year's Day and then I couldn't get enough of the soundtrack. So um, yeah, a lot of soundtrack stuff. But yeah, so that was that was the first reason that Trouble was a, the highest played song. Um, and it is a really sexy cover, by the way. Um, the other thing is that like, once I finished with Deirdre, I started putting together her her burlesque sister, Delilah St. Oleander, who is my actual burlesque uh, alter ego. And so mm. I started like playing around with like, what would it look like to do an act to this song in real life? So yeah, that song got a lot of plays and I should just buy it on iTunes and then I could have avoided this whole thing. My top, well, my top artist was Ghost. Um, Which makes sense. You went, well, you love Ghost, but also you went and saw Ghost. There are a lot of love top artists in mind that are like, oh yeah, that's because I went to go see them in concert and I was like getting hyped. Yeah, because Tovlo was my third. Yeah, yeah. But my number two was... Taylor Swift. So you and everyone and, but me. <laughs> Ghost and Tay Swift. That's, <laughs> that's the Gemini in me. Yep. But my top song was the song Emergency Contact by Pierce the Veil. You know, like I, I love people with variation. Yeah. Because my third I, song was Living Dead Girl by Rob Zombie. <laughs> Honestly, I'm surprised that one didn't show up on mine just because it shows up on so many of like the mixes that uh Spotify creates for me and I'm like yeah Rob Zombie's fine and I like this song just fine but I don't know um yeah anyways just wanted to take a moment to share so Kate it uh today is we are recording it's the last day of NaNoWriMo so it's you know uh, November 30th tomorrow is December 1st it's Christmas season (laughs) I know it's hard to believe that we're on the last month of the year starting i know didn't we just didn't we just start this year i feel like we did but yeah i would like to welcome everyone to the slumber party cinema club's first ever christmas cowabunga or something <laughs> <laughs> well it's kind of we like the do. hallmark holiday movies except you know it's slumber party holiday yeah movie. well and we didn't do christmas last year because last year we took off november and december yeah we did a, we took a, a hefty amount of time off last year due mm-hmm. to some health reasons and Kate being tired and moving so yeah um last year we we didn't get to cover any of our favorite Christmas movies so this year we are dedicating every episode this month to a different one and I love the fact that we picked uh this one to start out with um today we will be talking about uh, a movie that's near and dear to my heart I tormented my parents with it as a kid because uh I decided it wasn't a Christmas movie it was a year-round movie um is the uh, yeah. 1992 Muppet Christmas Carol. What a good movie. This this movie and Muppet Treasure Island are my favorite Muppet movies. Okay. I like the original Muppet movie and this one. Mm-hmm. Those are my two. Yeah, I've watched this tw- <laughs> honestly twice in the past like week and a half. <laughs> sort of, well, we watched it on Thanksgiving night. And then 
just ended up watching it again a couple nights ago. I have not watched it yet this year, but that does not really matter. I know this movie backwards and forwards. Um, as I mentioned, I one year when I was a kid, I loved this movie so much that I hid the bubble case uh, VHS when my parents were packing up the Christmas stuff. And then I would watch it on Saturday mornings. I was a weird child. I would get up at like six o'clock on Saturday mornings to watch Looney Tunes because that's when they aired on Cartoon Network. But I, I I shifted my my routine a little bit and I made it this movie. And so I believe I did that most weekends of the year uh, until about July when my mom caught me one morning and she was like, how long have you been watching this movie? <laughs> Amazing. So she she did take it away and put it in her closet. She was like, you need to watch something else, um, which is fair. But uh, yeah, so I know this movie backwards and forwards. And actually, last year, I was thinking um, our family has a tradition of watching White Christmas every year on Christmas Day. Okay. And I started thinking about some of the Christmas movies we watch. And honestly, this is going to be terrible as we launch into this month of Christmas movie talk on the podcast. But while I enjoy a Christmas movie, I get really tired of Christmas movies. I can see that. Like I got my my small few and I like to sparse them out. But eventually I'm like, I have seen a Christmas story more often than I've seen most movies. Because we do, we watch them every year, right? And so I'm 32. And so I've probably seen this movie 32 times. Mm-hmm. Muppet Christmas Carol never gets old. I've probably seen it more than 100 times and I still love it. I know every word, every lyric. Yeah. You know, I think a Christmas story is sort of like a special exception because it's like my family started when they started doing like the TBS or whatever, uh, 24 hours of a Christmas story, like that year, that's what we would have on all Christmas day, mm-hmm. like Christmas Eve when they started it through Christmas day. So, I mean, really if you or your family also does that, you end up watching the Christmas story like, you know, 12 times or something. Yeah, yeah. Well, and and luckily we're not a family that ever really does that. I mean, like there are certain movies if they're on, we'll keep them playing. Like if we're channel surfing or something. Um, mm-hmm. There was the only time I can think of ever getting sucked into like a back-to-back marathon of a movie. I was spending a weekend with, two guys that I knew in college I just graduated and I spent a weekend at one of their houses in St. Louis and forgetting Sarah Marshall was being played on TBS or something and Mm -hmm. we watched it and then it looped back into the movie starting over again and we were all I think maybe we were just so hung over we just like couldn't move so we watched it a second (laughs) time so I saw that nice. movie twice in one day. I've never seen it since. <laughs> yeah, we haven't like cleaved to the watching the Christmas story for 24 hours in like the past, you know, four or five years. The channel will switch. Mm-hmm. I also was always a big fan because like I never buy movies for myself. I always let my mom do it or my family because it's pretty easy, you know, gift giving ideas. Yeah. And so usually we would end up watching like Christmas day night, we'd end up watching like one of the movies that someone got for Christmas. Mm -hmm. But I would like to back up and use your comment about Cartoon Network as a segue to some history facts. Yes, please do. December 1992. I tried to pick out some new ones because we did 1992 not that long ago when we were talking about silence of the lambs also a lot of (laughs) a lot of the things that were popping up were like 
this thing in sports happened or this thing in like the five different wars we have happened. And I was like, it is Christmas. I'm going to be a little less depressing. So what was like the top toy that year or something? Yeah, I was, okay, I have to, I'm going to send you this because like I can't be visual on here and I wish, um, you know, we could, maybe one day we'll start recording video. But I found this mental floss article that has pages from a 1992 Sears catalog on it. It's some good, good stuff. Some of it, I was like, ooh, this little computer thing. I remember having this. And like, there's some terrifying baby dolls on the list. There's some really good Barbie stuff. There is the Barbie dream house that I had came out that year. Okay. The thigh master was a big present. That just there's- seems like passive aggressive. Some would have been said too. <laughs> there's like a really good pair of Reeboks that I'm like, man, I wish I, I want these for now. Um, but there's also this picture of these like three little girls modeling some like Levi's fashion and they all look so sullen, like (laughs) these these little baby models. They're like probably six years old and they all are just like pouty and bored looking and it's great. So if I remember, I'm going to post that on the gram so everyone else can enjoy. Um, there's also a present on here that I had to stare at for a while because it's a, a toy gun. It's called the Eliminator TS7. It looks very violent. And I did stare at it for a while trying to decide if it was a toy or if it was real. Didn't have that orange tip on it? It No. And we'll see. The thing is, it has like these things that look like it's sort of really intense bayonets. Oh. On the front. I think it's called like it. I can just barely read it. I think it's called like a power sword. And those are orange. (laughs) So maybe that's the clue. I don't know. A power sword, a laser sword, um, includes a power dagger, army machine gun, bayonet machine gun, cyber gun. Man, that's all, already had its hooks in us back then too. I think that's all one thing. I don't know. Anyways, so some other fun things that happened. I did mention, you know, 5,000 wars going on because as much things change, sometimes they stay the same. But I will mention that 1992 was the year that apartheid ended. In South oh, Africa. Hey. It was also the year the Cold War ended. It was also the year that uh, Bill Clinton was elected president. H.W. Bush was on his way out. Before he left, though, he awarded actress and humanitarian Audrey Hepburn with the Presidential Medal, Medal of Freedom. And that actually happened on the same exact day that Muppets Christmas Carol came out. Hey. <laughs> Your fave, Cartoon Network, actually premiered in the year 1992. Oh, cool. And then um, Mall of America opened. Have you ever been to Mall of America? I have never been, but I was obsessed with the Mary-Kate and Ashley party video where they go to the Mall of America. And I really wanted to go because of that. Oh, yeah. I remember that one. I don't think I ever watched it, but I definitely remember that being part of that series. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've never been either. But Kyle and I have been talking about planning like a silly road trip early next year to go to the mall of America and like stay one of the hotels nearby. Oh yeah. And go to the park stuff and just enjoy. And also last thing, and this is mostly just for me and maybe Brandon who's listening or anyone else that did theater with me in high school, December 10th, 1992, Stephen Flaherty and Lynn Aaron's musical, My Favorite Year, adapted from the 1982 film starring Evan Pappas, 
Tim Curry, Andrea Martin, and Lainey Kazan opened at the Vivian Beaumont Theater in New York City, running for 37 performances and earned uh, D- Drama Desk and Tony Award wins for Martin. And the reason I mentioned that is because that is the musical I did my senior year. Oh, that's <laughs> awesome. Yeah, it's great. Um, and yeah, Tim Curry is great in it. And I keep urging my theater teacher friends to do the musical because it is really, really fun, mm-hmm. <laughs> even though like most people haven't heard of it. But yeah, those are my those are my 1992 fun facts. Okay. Well, I've got a less than fun fact just about this movie itself and where it fits into the Muppet history books. So this was, I believe, the very first Muppet movie that they made without Jim Henson. Um, He Uh, passed away really um, pretty recently. No. uh, (laughs) So he passed away uh, just before they made this movie. That's what I meant recently to the movie. Yeah. Recently to now life. (laughs) Yeah. So he, um, you know, he, he passed away and his son ended up taking over uh, the production of this film. So he ended up directing it. Um, Jim Henson died in 1990 and this movie came out about two years later. And you have to imagine that it took some time. So Mm -hmm. this was, this film was really sort of not just Brian Henson's first four way foray into directing films, which he did go on to do quite a bit. He ended up doing the um, Bear in the Big Blue House series for Disney Channel and a number of other things. Um, he even produced, I don't know if you saw it, but there's a horrible, horrible movie that Melissa McCarthy was in called The Happy Time Murders back in 2018 that was like half Muppet cast, kind of Avenue Q feeling. He was a producer on that. So yeah, mm-hmm. so he he ended up following his father's footsteps uh, really closely, but this was the first project he ever did without his dad. Um, and it was his... Um, his experience um directing a film for the first time uh and that will come back later when we talk about who's in this movie um and some of the facts <laughs> around that but this was this was the first muppet production really after jim henson had passed and so i think that when it came out at least i remember my mom talking about this because she is such a jim henson fan and has had been since his starts that it was like all eyes were on it but a lot of people also were like ah, i don't really want to see it because you know it's it's the muppets without their their father without their creator oh yeah no this movie is so good though and I like know. i didn't even like i was looking up earlier because when i was doing like my history stuff and seeing when it came out i didn't even realize it was it came out in 1992. Like it felt like it came out later in the 90s. Yeah, yeah. So this one came out in 92. Muppet um, Treasure Island came out in 96. Yeah. Maybe I just didn't see Muppet Christmas Carol until I was like a little bit older because I would have been only like, I, well, I guess I would have been like five, four or five. Yeah, I think I was about six or seven when I absconded with the VHS and watched it every weekend for a year <laughs> or half a year rather. <laughs> Yeah, so um, for those unfamiliar, uh, The Christmas Carol is a a very famous story written by a a little-known author named Charles Dickens um, about Ebenezer Scrooge, who is a uh, crotchety old man and doesn't like the holidays. And there's a whole bunch of drama in his life of his employees not being treated fairly and him not paying for health care for them and their mortgages being on the dole and, you know, things that happened like two years ago as well as 200 years ago 
And uh, so this is a story about him reckoning with his past, his present, and his possible future via three ghosts that show up over uh, Christmas Eve night and give him a, a bird's eye view of what his life looks like, uh, all at the behest of one of his dead partners who is presumably in hell um, and has decided that he needs to save Scrooge by sending these ghosts. Um, so the Muppet movie version is actually pretty dead on. <laughs> to the mm-hmm. original uh, uh, Christmas story story uh, by Charles Dickens, um, which is really funny if you think about a kid's movie because the, the original story is pretty dark, um, but they were able to make it with the Muppet charm and um, actually preserve the story and the feeling. And I mean, there are some scary things. The ghost of Christmas future in this movie is borderline terrifying if you're a little kid. Oh yeah, for sure. And, um... and so I would argue the ghost of Christmas past because- she was also a little creepy. Yeah. She was like, yeah. Cause she's like pretty and like a kid, but also like just a little off looking. Yeah. They did a really good job with the character design. Um, and for it the was ghosts. like, it was actually one of the, like, if you think about the Muppets, the Muppets have never shied away from how they do that kind of effects. Um, mm-hmm. One of my favorites is um, when you, when they back away and Kermit is riding a bicycle in the Muppet movie and it's quite he's riding the bicycle alone on the road balance like just boggles the mind like how how did they figure that one out um <laughs> yeah. and then like with this uh same thing uh Ghost of Christmas Past was like a, a combination of all these different special effects that they had their disposal in 92 so they did some face projection with the actress um, who plays the ghost Um, And then they had a Muppet that they essentially submerged in water. That's how they get that floaty look to the the cloth um, at a real feel. Um, And then uh, they transposed that also into the movie. So it's really like impressive thinking about 1992 and what kind of effects were available that they were, you know, that they went the extra length to do this and not just have it be another Muppet. I was going to say too, like, you know, talking about how the original story, like the original Dickens story is kind of dark, um, which have you, did you, you've read uh, Christmas Carol, right? Oh yeah. And I've seen multiple, yeah. um, multiple sc- uh, film versions. Versions of it. Yeah. I think last year was the first time I ever actually read the full original story because it's short. Mm-hmm. Um, I just picked up like a pretty copy from Barnes and Noble and read it. Um, but what I was going to say was the thing about the Muppets is like the Muppets were never actually for children. That is true. Yeah. Jim Henson so, had a, a theory that it would be funny. Someone has to get eaten or someone has to be blown up. Yeah. That's the punchline to every early Muppets joke. Yeah. <laughs> Not unlike Looney Tunes. Not unlike Looney Tunes. Yeah. But, but yeah, they weren't necessarily for children originally so nothing is ever dumbed down so yeah it's it i think maybe that's why we still enjoy the movie today mm-hmm. yeah i i 100 agree because yeah i mean you get they they don't dumb it down they have a lot of jokes about charles dickens and what london was like in the victorian era um i love when <laughs> uh, at some point um gonzo who is playing charles dickens telling the story narrating the story uh picks mm-hmm. up rizzo who is playing rizzo his rat friend who's coming along for the story and uses him to clean a window because everything's so dirty 
Yeah. Thank you for making me a part of this. <laughs> <laughs> there's so many good, like quotable jokes like that. I think Rizzo has like some of the most quotable lines. Cause there's that one and there's light the lamp, not the rat, light the lamp, not the rat. I was just about to say that one. My mother taught me was to never eat singing food. Never eat singing food. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, we could just sit here for an hour and just like continually quote the movie and like how good the jokes are and stuff. One of the things that I really love when Muppet movies do and just like the Muppets in general is like, I've always loved the sort of kayfabe of Muppets where it's like all of the Muppets are Hollywood actors. Mm -hmm. Right. Like in a, I feel like in most if not all of their movies are you know kind of their movies or their specials or whatever there's sort of like these little meta moments of oh we're in a movie like we're sort of breaking and there's that really good one where they have sam the eagle playing scrooge's professor from school mm-hmm. and he says like da, 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 da. it's the american way because you know sam is the American eagle. guy. Yeah. He's, he's Sam the Eagle. Yes. <laughs> and then Gonzo steps up and he's like, hey, Sam. And he just the little like. And then Sam's like, oh, okay. It's the British way. I know. I love that so much. It's sort of like a double meta moment because like one, you know, Gonzo, a.k.a. Mr. Dickens, is just supposed to be the narrator. So he's not even supposed to be there. And then also they're in like a past dream shadow world. And also they're in a movie. Yes. Well, and then a double, like an even bigger layer of the joke is that he had just finished lecturing young Scrooge on the importance of being good at business. Mm hmm. And that is the American, and that's also just, yeah, it fits America too. (laughs) It really does. Capitalism is the American way. Yeah. Well, it was the British (laughs) way first, honestly, but yeah. Yeah. And and so I'm glad that you mentioned that, that you said, you know, they, they they're, the, the joke is that the Muppets are all Hollywood celebrities on their own. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. Which is really good that you mentioned that because for me, I, as much as I like Muppet Treasure Island, Tim Curry is himself a Muppet. He's just a Muppety kind of person. Same thing with Jason's full circle back to forgetting Sarah Marshall, but Jason Siegel, who is a pro- profoundly big Muppet fan, did the, the Muppets um, a couple years ago, did the only mm-hmm. his own movie with him, um, is also a very Muppety man. Michael Caine, mm-hmm. not a Muppety man. And so there was a really interesting story. So when uh, Jim Henson was doing the Muppet show, they were filming it in London and in England because it was cheaper. They couldn't, they could film it for cheaper in England. And so what they started doing was like, if you were filming a movie in England, you would typically end up uh, getting a guest role on The Muppet Show. And it became such a big thing. So John Cleese was on it. Peter Sellers was on it. Still, Sylvester Stallone was on it because he was doing a movie out there. And so The Muppet Show would pull these big guests. Well, Michael Caine always wanted to be on the show, but he could never fit into his schedule. So when he Mm -hmm. found out in the early 90s that they were planning on doing this, he started campaigning really, really hard with the production company to let him be Ebenezer Scrooge and let him try out. So when he got the role um, and he started talking to Brian Henson, who's going to be directing, before production began, he told him that he, and I've got the quote in front of me because I want to get it right. I'm going mm-hmm. to play this movie like I'm working with the Royal Shakespeare Company. I will never wink. I will never do anything Muppety. 
I'm going to play Scrooge as if it is an utterly dramatic role and there are no puppets around me. And I think that's why I love his, I think he's one of my favorite performers that's ever performed with the Muppets because he, it's not that he buys into the, the fact that he's performing with puppets. It's because he completely refuses to acknowledge them as puppets and just sees them as his fellow actors. Fellow actors. Yeah, I love that choice. And Michael Caine also says that this was one of his most memorable films he ever made. Hell yeah. Like of all the movies he's done, this is one of his his favorites. And he also said that when he was like, it was only about halfway through the production that he realized this was the first time Brian Henson had ever directed a film. And he was thoroughly Mm. impressed. I always think that working with the Muppets, whether you're in like a movie or a special, is like the height of fame. Like... Mm-hmm. You are, you know, you are a truly successful, famous person if you are asked to work with the Muppets. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, it's better than an Oscar, mm-hmm. in my opinion. More people have won <laughs> Oscars than have worked with the Muppets. You're right. Yeah. I want to say I also read something where it's, and maybe this was just like a, a the fan opinion where it's like Michael Caine treated the Muppets as fellow actors, but Tim Curry, himself became a Muppet he thought of himself as a fellow Muppet and they're both good performances I just they're very different they're just different yeah Yeah. who is your favorite Muppet oh um, or like some of your top ones I love Animal Mm -hmm. I had like three different t-shirts in my childhood that had Animal on them um as a Leo I am required to say Miss Piggy okay (laughs) Because she is the Leoist Muppet in there. Um, but, you know, I also really like um, Janice from The Electric Mayhem. Yeah, I was going to say Janice is like my favorite since I was a kid. Yeah. I think it was because I had, when I was a kid, I had some like Muppet trading cards. And I had one of her dressed as like Tina Turner and having like the the big like spiky Tina Turner hair. Amazing. That was like, I loved that. <laughs> Yet Janice was one of mine. Bean Bunny is one of mine, even though. Oh, and it's... he's got such a good role in this movie. He does. I I was like, my headcanon for that movie is that Scrooge adopts Bean Bunny. Oh, I love that. Because <laughs> he's just like hanging around outside. Um, Bean Bunny becomes Scrooge's son. It does make me really sad to know that Bean Bunny is like he hasn't been in any Muppet things because he's in very poor repair, like disrepair. Oh, I didn't know that. The the Muppet itself? Mm-hmm. Well, they did toss him around a lot in the making of this movie. <laughs> yeah. I it wasn't due to that though. It was more because of like age and time mm-hmm. and just being mm-hmm. in storage. I was like, that makes me so sad. But yeah, D- Bean Bunny was definitely one of my um faves. And especially as a kid, and I had like a little bean bunny stuffy animal to cuddle. Oh, I do like bean bunny, especially in this movie. But it also like, and again, they didn't pull back uh, in this film at all, because there is a moment where I think it's like it's Christmas Eve night and it's right after Bob Cratchit, played by Kermit the Frog, sings uh, One More Sleep Till Christmas and mm-hmm. is going home to like his family where it's warm and it's like it's still poor but it's warm and he passes bean bunny who's like wrapped in with like newspaper yeah. shivering on the street 
Mm-hmm. So talking about the songs made me think of this. So I so I said I watched it twice, and I watched it twice on Disney Plus. And I don't know if you know about this, but they cut a song out of the Disney Plus version. They did. Um, in fact, there's a story behind that. So there's I have the DVD. Okay, <laughs> I, I was going to say the DVD I, as soon as it came out. I have no idea why, and it doesn't make any sense to me. And I was like, I remember watching like the song wasn't like a extended scene or something it was part of the original movie so anyways oh it wasn't okay please tell the story so the song you're talking about is a song called when love is gone it's Mm -hmm. very solemn it's the song that scrooge's um i guess fiance at that point but not for much longer uh bell is isabel bell Uh, bell uh bell she's she's just tired of waiting because he refuses to marry her until he has more money mm-hmm. um and she's like yeah no i, I want to get married now i don't care that you don't have money and so she sings this song and it's kind of long and i remember when i was a little kid being like bored by it yeah that's the yeah know? same to be honest well, and actually be honest <laughs> so so they filmed it and they had it in the final and then it was dropped from the theatrical release because disney chairman jeffrey katzenberg was like, yeah, this is too sad and boring for children. Mm. So they cut it be at his request. And because of that, there's that really jarring cut, like from the yeah. time that Belle says it's over and then is gone. <laughs> so it's like kind of weird. And that well, they show a little bit of confusion. Yeah, they show her like walking away. Cause I think it's like Scrooge is like, I I this is for you, Belle. I love you. And she's like, you did once. And she sort and of stands over. up. And that's when the song would begin. But instead you just like it cuts to like Rizzo crying and like her walking away past him. Mm-hmm. So you sort of get the idea of what happened. But yeah, like you said, it is also sort of jarring and you don't quite understand why Rizzo is quite so emotional. Yeah, yeah. So, like, if you know the songs there, when they do that cut, it's like, oh, oh, okay. That's, like, three and a half minutes of a movie I don't have to watch. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, like, so what they ended up doing was they put it back in when they released the VHS, the Laserdisc, because that was the time this came out, um, and that <laughs> DVD version that I have, which is, like, if, if there's two versions. You can watch the widescreen, and that won't have it, or you can watch the full screen, and it will. So they put it back in for some of the versions and then, you know, that came out for home release and then they um, have it on Disney plus as a bonus feature. Yeah. I definitely remember watching it on the VHS, but yeah, I guess you're right. As a kid, I was just like tuned out during that song, but now I'm like, like the, I need to go to the bathroom or I want to go get popcorn or something. song. yeah. Yeah. Which is but now which, I'm like, you know, what like the that's fuck? one way to go about it. But like, for me, I always waited until the ghost of Christmas future showed up or christmas is yet to come rather showed up yeah. because i was like well this is scary yeah but then you could also be like oh it's not that i'm scared it's that i just have to go to the bathroom right now or i need exactly. more popcorn right now like as opposed to rizzo and um <laughs> and gonzo who say to the audience this is too scary for us we'll see you later <laughs> which is such like perfect script writing because it's like really if they were sort of a part of that whole sequence it would have really kind of I think taken away from the tone of the seriousness Mm -hmm. and 
So like, that was such a good way to like, instead of just like, oh, they just didn't say anything during this part, like, mm-hmm. you know, have them. And it's just really funny when they're like, hey, we're back. We told you you would, we would be. And it's like another one of those like good Muppet meta moments of like, we'll see you at the end of the movie. Like, <laughs> Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Again, remaining true to the story, but also remaining true to just Muppet, to, you know, Muppet to Muppet culture. Yeah. Yep. The one thing I noticed going back to Michael Caine and his excellent actor choice of being like, I'm going to treat this like the Royal Shakespeare Company and the Muppets as my fellow thespians. Um, I noticed the other night when we were watching it and they're going through the past and they go to what is in the book Fezziwig's Christmas party, but it's Fozziwig it's instead. Fozziwig's. Yeah. He says, he says the line absolutely flawlessly, Fozziwig's rubber chicken factory. <laughs> and I was like, obviously that is changed for the Muppet version. It was not a rubber chicken factory in the book. I can't remember what it was, but I was like, that's just such a good, like, like good line delivery because that's yeah. what a silly thing to say. <laughs> well, and there's a bunch of things that they appear silly, but then you figure out what they're there for. So like, there was a really weird line that Charles Dickens wrote. Not, I don't think it was in Christmas Carol, but it was in one of his stories. And the phrase was like bad lobster in a dark cellar. Doesn't make mm. any sense. I'm sure it does in context. But you, if you watch like in one of the crowd sequences, there is a lobster Muppet hanging out of a, ba- a basement window. <laughs> oh, that's funny. That's like Isn't a good that? Easter egg. Yeah. There's so many Easter eggs. I mean, the fact that they've got a store on the main street in the, I think it's like the final musical scene that's called Mickle White's. And so Michael Caine's name is not Michael Caine. He was born Maurice Joseph Mickle White. Um, mm. So they they created a store called Mickle White's as a nod to his, his birth name. There was, that's interesting. Cause I was, I can't even think of like what part it was, but in the original book, it's just uh, Jacob Marley, who right. like singular person. And in the Muppet version, they recast it to be two partners. It was Statler and Waldorf mm-hmm. as yeah, the Jacob Marley brothers. Marley, I think. Yeah. yeah. I swear I noticed a store that looked like it was called Statler and Waldorf. There is, there is yeah. a haberdashery called Statler and Waldorf mm. on the street. Yeah. Yeah. They're my other favorite Muppets, by the way. I was like, I know I, I had another them. one. Yeah. I also really love that. Um, I think it's from SNL, the Keegan-Michael Key sketch where he is yelling at Statler and Waldorf saying, you are more than welcome to leave after they're like heckling. Have you ever seen that one? I think maybe. I'm not sure. I'll have to send it to you. It's really funny. Or like, uh, and maybe also post it on Instagram because it cracks me up. <laughs> I think he refers to Kermit as like his little little dragon friend or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. So, um, and and thinking about the songs, you know, a little bit too. Marley and Marley, like, it's a good thing Spotify doesn't track stuff in December because that would probably be my most played song of the year. Um, <laughs> that is my absolute favorite number in this entire movie. I love it. I play it over and over again but there was actually there were a number of songs that don't appear in the movie that they did record and are available on the soundtrack so if you have spotify you can go find them um honeydew um professor honeydew and beaker 
who play two men working for a charity that continually ask Scrooge for donations and of course get told to go scratch at the beginning. Um, they have a song <laughs> called Room in Your Heart um, that they sing. Um, and then Sam Eagle has a song called Chairman of the Board. So there are a couple of songs that didn't end up in the movie. Um, they didn't even film, I don't think, uh, but they recorded them to supplement the other songs that you can find on the album. All the songs are so good, though. They're definitely all songs that I know all the words to. So, yeah. So um, I know that you mentioned, I, I do, there are a couple more names that pop up. So I know that you mentioned that Bean Bunny has been since retired from this because of just wear and tear on the puppet. Mm-hmm. There's another puppet that has, that is, does not appear in this film. And I don't believe it appears in any of the other films uh, is Scooter. Oh yeah. Scooter. I, yeah. I can't think of like when he's in films. Cause usually he's playing like the stage manager on the show. Yeah. He came back when they did the most recent Muppet show, which actually was really, really good on ABC. Um, mm-hmm. The premise of it was that Miss Piggy has a late night show. Is that the one where like the news came out that Piggy and Kermit had broken up? Yes. And she was dating Josh Groban and was seen on the red carpet with Josh Groban at that's right. events. Again, the, the, I would love to work for the Muppets. The, it's just marketing genius. Cause you're right. Yeah. In the movies, they're Hollywood stars, but then also like they plant tabloid stories about Miss Piggy and Josh Groban dating at some point. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so no, Scooter was um, Scooter was retired at that point. Um, and the reason is because the performer who did his voice, Richard Hunt, had passed away early 1992. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. So at the beginning of the film, it's dedicated to um, Richard Hunt and Jim Henson. Jim Henson, as we mentioned, died in May of 1990. Um, but Hunt died in early 1992 um, from AIDS complications. Oh, yeah, no, I didn't know that. So, yeah, so that's another another Muppet that's kind of missing from this, but that's another piece of the story. And I think that if you think about what was going on in the early 90s, especially some of the rhetoric around AIDS, HIV AIDS. um, Yeah. Another reason that I'm like, God damn, the Muppets are cool. Because like, they they did (laughs) not, you know, shy away. They didn't put, you know, in the corner and forget about it. They dedicated their next movie to him. Oh, that's sweet. Yeah. So another thing about, I guess just Christmas Carol in in general and Charles Charles Dickens in general. Um, Dickens is sort of the guy responsible for a lot of the ways that we celebrate Christmas now Mm -hmm. and why Christmas is celebrated the way it is. You're right. Please tell us more. That's all I got. <laughs> Just that general <laughs> fact. I like that wasn't something that like I researched and I was like, I'm gonna mention this. It was just something I was like, oh, I should I, I thought about that. I thought about that. And also like the fact that it used to be, you know, we were talking way earlier about how kind of dark the story is, the original story is, and you know, it's got ghosts and shit in it. It used to be tradition to tell each other ghost stories on Christmas Eve, Mm -hmm. which, you know, my little Halloween goth girl heart loves. (laughs) Well, there's like no better time than like the dead of winter, like usually, and, and Christmas is right after the shortest day of the year, right? So dark days, cold staying inside etc but yeah so um i i i know a little bit of this background so really it's all because the industrial revolution um changed the way that people worked and made a living 
Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden, uh, there was really very little time for workers and little money for workers to celebrate Christmas. People didn't get the day off. Um, people didn't get any days off really at this time point of time. Um, and so there was really, it was, it was a, a great decline in the way people were celebrating Christmas. Um, it, Christmas was really big in the medieval era. <laughs> Um, because it was all sort of based off of those ancient Roman, like Saturnalia traditions. And okay. So, like, and and a combination of that and like Germanic winter festivals of Yule, um, and then of course it came under intense scrutiny uh, when Oliver Cromwell and the Puritans came through and wanted to purify the Church of England. So they stripped mm-hmm. all these pagan, you know, celebrations and superstitions out of out of the year. So. Really, Christmas wasn't that big a deal. You're right. Um, and the Industrial Revolution, any kind of progress they might have made was cut back by the fact that the majority of people could barely afford to live um, and were breathing in dust and and dirt and smoke. And like, you know, we saw Rizzo was used to clean a window um, and coal was considered a very generous Christmas gift. Um <laughs> But a lot of of the way that we celebrate Christmas comes from Dickens and especially also young Queen Victoria. Um, because her husband was Albert and he was from Germany where the Puritans had not influenced them to the point that Christmas was no longer a thing. So because the queen had a German husband, all of these celebrations started coming back into vogue. And uh, yeah, Dickens was writing these stories for wide audiences and started embedding some of this in there. And that's how it sort of sparked a, a revolution in the ways that we celebrate Christmas. That's I always find stuff like that really ironic because, you know, like here we are the war on Christmas, you know, there's a lot of, you know, Christmas is generally considered like a Christian holiday, even though you're not necessarily strictly Christian if you're celebrating it. But, um, you know, to think about how it's like the Puritans, the Christian folks are the ones that initially were like, no Christmas, it's satanic, it's pagan. Yeah. Well, yeah. Cause like, you know, most of the, yeah, like, like we've said, like most of the Christmas traditions, the tree that's a sign of like it's a pagan fertility sign mm-hmm. even the timing of christmas like the chances are that like probably jesus was born in april because that's when right sheep would be out um, right so <laughs> the sheep would be out yeah because it was my mom like... always explained she's like you do realize jesus was not born on december 25th like sheep were out in the field shepherds were out like <laughs> One of the classes I took in college, like we learned about like Constantine and like the Council of Nicaea and essentially where it's like, okay, we're going to take a little bit of everything. So everyone is happy with how we're doing, you know, our religious customs and holidays and whatever. So yeah, I I think like, like you said, a lot of the imagery and tradition of Christmas is sort of pulled from paganism, which also reminds me, I learned some fun facts about like Thanksgiving this past Ooh. Thanksgiving. I know like a lot of people kind of re-examine their celebration of Thanksgiving sort of based on the genocide of indigenous people. But I was reading that really like Thanksgiving didn't necessarily come from like the quote unquote first Thanksgiving between like the pilgrims and the Native Americans. Yeah, it was more something that came about during the civil war and Mm. like abraham lincoln trying to bring unity to you know the north and the south interesting and actually like southerners were really 
fucking against Thanksgiving. They were the ones that were like, Thanksgiving, it's just a trick. And it's like a Northern holiday and like it's a Yankee holiday and da da da. da. So I thought that was pretty interesting. So we really thought celebrate Thanksgiving the way we do now because of not because of the pilgrims, but because of Abe Lincoln and the Civil War and you know. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, I never knew that. You know, like it kind of reminds me of how we, when we think about Confederate statues, those did not come from the Civil War. Uh, Most of them were resurrected in the 1920s. That makes sense. Yeah. We could get into a whole conversation about the South and the Civil War and the whole philosophy of like the South will rise again, where how it probably meant something different in the twenties than people think it means now. It's like, what do you, what do you fucking mean when you say that? <laughs> like, yeah. Oh yeah. Well, that could be a whole other podcast episode. And I know that yeah. we are coming to the end of our time together today. So um, maybe we'll uh, talk about that when we finally do like gone with the wind and do like a huge two-parter on that movie. I would love that because I actually kind of love that movie, despite how disgusting it is in a lot of places. Um, I, I, I love that movie too. It's definitely better if you sort of think about it. I think the way that it kind of is where it's just a fairy tale. I just commend it for the cinematography and what they did with what they had, but that's going to be a whole (laughs) other episode. So as we do come to the end of this episode, though, uh, Mm -hmm. any last thoughts you want to share about Muppet Christmas Carol, Katie? I don't know, but I fucking love it. I was going to bring up one thing, not necessarily Muppet Christmas Carol related, but as we go into the month of December and continue discussing other Christmas movies, which are tbd so if you have anything that you would like to hear discussed please drop us a line on instagram yes or twitter and i swear to god i'm fucking moving us to thread soon because (laughs) (laughs) i hate going on twitter i've gotten rid of my personal twitter i'm getting rid of my twitter that i used exclusively to obsess about wrestling And I really just want to move SPCC over to threads, especially because there's been like a thing over there recently where it's like girls supporting girls. And I love it. But anyways, friend of the pod, one time special guest, Dr. Nick Weirsome. I don't know if he's actually a doctor. (laughs) We like to think of him as that. Yeah, he was probably one of the smartest people we know. Dino, Dino Dr. Nick. Yeah. (laughs) Um, wanted to know what we thought made a a movie a Christmas movie. That's like what is a really good question. Mm. I was like that could get controversial. Uh, yeah, I know because, what I, I think. Mean, you and I are both probably thinking we're gonna do an episode on Die Hard at some point, right? Exactly. I was like that's literally like the like is Die Hard a Christmas movie or not? And I'm like, hell yeah, it's a fucking Christmas movie. See, I am going to be I am going to be annoying and be that person who says a Christmas movie is whatever you want a fucking Christmas movie to be. I think that's true. Cuz like, you know what? Die Hard? Yes, I agree it's a Christmas movie. There are some yeah. other films I can think of that also have Christmas as like a key part, but I don't think of them as Christmas movies. Mm. I'm trying to think of one. I will admit that uh, the first time I ever saw Love Actually was on a Labor Day weekend. Um, And so while it does all surround Christmas, I do think that that movie could extend beyond Christmas. Mm -hmm. 
Can I tell you um, an embarrassing thing about me and the movie Love Actually? Sure. Although I think we're going to probably do an episode unless you want, you know, if you want to hold that. No, I'll, I'll say it. It's because okay. it's the thing is that me talking about how I um, still love Alan Rickman in spite of everything he does terrible in that movie. Um, Same. No, <laughs> it's it's that it didn't took me it it took me an embarrassingly long time to realize that even though the movie starts five weeks before Thanksgiving or sorry, before Christmas, and there's no mention of Thanksgiving is because they are in fucking Britain. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like I knew these facts individually, but like my brain wasn't syncing them together to make sense. <laughs> You know, and for me, it took me forever to realize that Laura Linney is American in that movie. Yeah. God, she was one of my huge crushes when I was in high school. Oh, she's wonderful. You should watch Ozark. Yeah, I've never watched it. I just love her. But yeah, anyways. Um, so as I said, uh, hit us up on Instagram or Twitter if there is a Christmas movie that you would like to hear discussed this season. Or if there's one that you really don't want to have discussed, uh, there are some Christmas movies out there that I just cannot watch. So I would totally like to commiserate with anyone who has a Christmas movie they absolutely can't stand. Ooh, name one right now. Oh, come on. You put me on the spot. Ooh, I know one that I hate. I don't okay, want to watch. Go. You tell me yours first. The the Jim Carrey Grinch. That movie's too horny. It makes me uncomfortable. 100%. <laughs> I absolutely hate that fucking movie. <laughs> Christine Bransky's hot in it, but yeah, I can't watch it. I'm uncomfortable. Cannot, cannot stand that movie. I would also say uh, there's a movie called uh, Holiday Inn with Bing Crosby and oh, uh, yes. Astaire. Now that is one that could also be uh, debatably a Christmas movie or not, because it is the story of two bed and breakfast owners um, who run a, a hotel purely like themed every month for whatever holiday is that month. And mm. there is full out blackface in that movie. Yeah. I watched that movie a long time ago after I got really into like white Christmas thinking like, Oh, this will be another like charming, fun, like old timey movie. Mm-mm. 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 Nope. No. So I would put that on the list as well. All right. Well, maybe we will find out more next time on our next episode. We'll have a, we'll have yeah. a special Christmas then, hate uh, section. Yeah, the Christmas movies we can't stand. <laughs> <laughs> and in the meantime, uh, you know where to find us. Find us over on Instagram at SP Cinema Club. And don't forget to invite your friends to the Christmas party. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.